Hello, everyone, and welcome to Education in Focus, powered by Chalkboard News. I'm Dan McCaleb, Vice President of News and Content at the Franklin News Foundation, which publishes Chalkboard. Chalkboard is a news website dedicated to issues related to K-12 education. Joining me today, as always, is Brendan Clary, Chalkboard's K-12 editor. We are recording this on Tuesday, May 30th, the day after Memorial Day and Memorial Day weekend. I hope you had a good weekend. Just uh, want to include a shout out to all those uh, military members who paid the ultimate sacrifice so you and I, Brendan, can have conversations like this about issues going on in K-12 through education. story you uh, wrote about had to do with state legislative sessions around the country. They're either finishing up their business or have already finished up business. One trend you noticed in a number of state legislatures this spring is the expansion of school choice options for parents of students in kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, By my count, uh, nearly 20 states took up some sort of school choice expansion legislation. Not all of them were successful, but many of them were. Brennan, before we get into the details of what states were doing, is it a trend that school choice uh, opportunities and expanding them is more popular across the country now? Did it just happen to be a coincidence that so many states took it up? What's driving it? Yeah, I think there's definitely been more popular in recent legislative sessions, the experts that I talked to or the advocates for school choice said that this really isn't something that's completely new, that it started in the the early 2000s, but that it really took off in 2016 when they started pushing for universal school choice in terms of like education savings accounts, those kinds of things. So uh, and since then, I think they've seen a, a bigger trend, more sweeping trend across the nation towards school choice. And in recent legislative sessions, you know, we've seen a number of states take this issue and run with it. And so I think that there was three or four that have recently moved into what what advocates call universal school choice. I'm going to ask you about universal school choice uh, in a moment and what states are either moving that way or have already moved that way. But um, just a quick quick question about COVID-19 and the school shutdowns and public schools in general were closed longer than private schools and other type of schools. Do you think that's also might be driving this recent boon? Yeah, I think so. I think also, too, that there is you know, been a lot more talk about parental rights. There's also been, a, you know, and then alongside of that school choice. So I think that the, the critics of the public school system, they said, okay, we got a good look at what was going on in the classrooms, what, you know, curriculums were teaching. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but due to remote learning, right? Yes. Yeah. Through, through the pandemic, you know, they were, they were with their children and they were learning the, uh, they were seeing what their children were learning on the daily basis. And I think that that has also fueled some of that as well. And so for the critics of, of, you know, those public schools and what they're teaching, they kind of see this as an alternative of, okay, if you have school choice, then, you know, one, it holds uh, the public schools accountable and that they'll have to um, make their offerings more amenable to those who have problems with, you know, critical race theory, different kinds of ideological issues. If they don't, then you have this other option of, you know, the private school in your in your area that you can go to using state-funded dollars, essentially. A moment ago, you referenced universal school choice, and some states have either gone in that direction or are heading in that direction. Just briefly explain what what is universal school choice? Yeah, so there's different kinds of school choice. I mean, first off, you have school choice that allows you to go to the different public school than the zip code that you're in. And so that's a form of school choice. But I think what a lot of these advocates are talking about is legislation that allows you to take public state taxpayer funds to the school of your choice. And so that is how they define school choice. And then universal school choices, you can go to any school, private, religious, public, 
and take that money with you or use it for homeschool and different homeschool programs as well, or like a hybrid system of private school or public school and homeschooling, and you can get different things. And so then I guess the most universal way to use those funds would be to uh, be able to buy anything that you want with those. So that's like with that's education related. So if you wanted like a homeschool program that, you know, and, and, and so there's different uses for that money. That's kind of what some advocates told me was the, you know, very most expansive definition of universal school choice. Like you can do whatever you want as long as it's education related with that funding. That's kind of how there's a different tier breakdown. So there there are states that have universal eligibility, but they don't actually have money for every student who wants to use the program to go to the school of their choice. It's capped at, you know, however many thousand. In those circumstances, is it generally lower in you have to meet a certain income threshold to qualify for those dollars that the states have set aside for those programs? Yeah. So generally it would be so the lower income students would be able to go to those schools first. And so then the, and it kind of ranks who can get into those at what point, you know, and then with that cutoff of, you know, 300 percent of the federal poverty line. And that so that so there is a sort of ranked way to get a, a ranked order of who, which students are able to enroll in the program first. But then so the universal school choice is any student in the state can go to the school of their choice and it's funded as well. And there are some states like Indiana and Florida and Arizona, which are, you know, every student is eligible and also it's, they're funded as well. So they will be able to take that, that taxpayer money with them. Right now we know of three states that have passed universal school choice, but there are other states doing other things. And you had a comprehensive report. Can't possibly ask you to get into every single state. There's just too many of them. Give us a, a smattering of, of what's happening in other states, not Arizona, not in Indiana, Florida. We know they passed universal school choice. What else is happening out there? Most recently, Oklahoma passed legislation signed on on just a few days ago on May 25th. That creates $150 million in tax credits for homeschooling and private schools. And that's based on income. So if you're in a different bracket, then I think you'll get more. So the students in, in private K-12 schools can receive between $5,000 and $7,500, depending on you know their parents' income bracket. So that that's you know, interesting. It's it's a one of these one version of the school choice is, you know, a, a donation program, essentially, where people can say, I'm going to create a tax, I'm going to put my taxes toward a scholarship, and they can actually direct that. And that's something that uh, Nebraska implemented just the day before the legislature passed that the, the, the 24th of May, Nebraska's Governor Jim Pillen has said that he would sign it. So that creates like a credit scholarship. And that's an interesting, you know, sort of take on it where it's not taxpayer money per se yet, because it's, it's going sort of to the scholarship before it hits the state's coffers. And so that that and and so you can decide, oh, I'd like to put up my my what I owe in taxes up to $100,000 toward this scholarship program for students to be able to go to the school of their choice. And that, again, prioritizes low-income students and those with special needs or other, you know, extenuating circumstances. And so that's usually something, too, that the states will pass and then they can build on it. And that's something that we've seen before is where advocates will say, okay, we'll get this in and then, you know, we can expand it once it's it's in. And, you know, Florida recently had an expansion as well so that it was it was every student. Uh, so it, it expanded it to all the education savings account to all of the state school children in March. We're almost out of time here, Brendan, but let me talk about one state that's kind of going in the opposite direction. One of the few states that's going in the opposite direction. That's my home state of Illinois, where the Invest in Kids program was passed in 2017 under a former governor Republican, Bruce Rauner. Uh, J.B. Pritzker's just started his second uh, term here, Democrat, and he and Democrats who control 
the state house in Springfield are letting the the Invest in Kids Act. It looks like they're act, letting it expire. Now they could call a, their their session is over this year. They, they do have a veto session scheduled for the the fall. Republicans are pushing for Democrats to add that to the veto session agenda. But essentially, children in the Invest in Kids program since 2017 have gotten these scholarships to go to a private school or a school of their choice. Maybe their local public school wasn't the best fit for them, is a failing school, whatever reason they didn't want to send them to kids. But for the last few years, through the Invest in Kids Scholarship Program, parents have been able to send their children to a school of their choice. But if that ends and it's scheduled to sunset in December, essentially that scholarship money goes away. So the parents either have to pay for that private school option for themselves or send them back to the public school that they didn't want them to go to in the first place. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. And, you know, there's other states that have done similar kinds of things to her that that they've, you know, in Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer has targeted online public charter schools and with budget cuts and said, you know, that, we're, that you know, they're not in brick and mortar schools so that, you know, we can basically reduce the amount of funding per student. I believe that would be $1,463. And so in and, and different kinds of, you know, there's there's been steps going in the other direction as well. You know, in California, it's not getting any ground. Georgia as well. In Kansas, you know, lawmakers, they were unable to come to an agreement about what school choice bill would look like. And so it it kind of fell apart. So there's been these different efforts to to go the other way as well, and not necessarily in, in just blue states, which has been interesting. A lot of successes for school choice advocates this year, but also a lot of um, roadblocks, uh, or at least a, a handful of roadblocks. Brendan, uh, this is a fascinating topic. I feel like you and I could spend hours talking about this. Listeners can keep up with this story and all stories related to K-12 education at Chalkboard. For Brendan Clary, I'm Dan McCaleb. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening. <laughs>